We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Uh, let's pray before we start. God, I ask that this morning you meet us where we're at, Father. Whether we're here sitting in the church in the four walls or whoever's watching online in their dining room, in their living room with their family or by themselves, Lord, we ask that your presence be made known. That the words that are going to be preached this morning are your words and not my words. They are coming straight from the book of instruction. So we love you. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and we magnify you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to talk about works. We're going to talk about works. And it's not a popular topic in the church today because when we talk about works and the cross, it offends people. But the time has come when offending people doesn't really need to matter anymore. What matters is Jesus and his word. So this word was actually prepared before we left to peruse. It was actually a word meant for the 22nd of March. However, everything happened with the church. Uh, and then pastor said, hey, I, I still didn't forget about that sermon. So why don't we do it when your parents are here? And we can honor them and honor you guys when you leave as well. So it's a, it's a very encouraging uh, message. It's a convicting message. Um, but it is special to me because it is my last message here while we're here. I know we're going to come back and everything, but so bear with me. Don't get offended. Don't get offended by me. This is going to be a word from God, and it is for the church. It is for believers. It can be for unbelievers too. So if you're watching online or if you're here this morning and an unbeliever, I pray that today the truth of God be made known to you and that you will come to understand his glory and his, his thankfulness. He is so faithful. God is so faithful. He has a plan for your life. And today we're going to talk about good works. And I'm going to turn to the book of Titus. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a book with a couple chapters. But this is Paul talking to a young pastor, Titus. And he's writing this letter to Titus because he's pastoring the church of Crete at this time, and he's urging Titus to tell the congregation, but not only the congregation, he's telling them to tell the leaders, the elders, the deacons, the other pastors in the church how to live a godly life. And he's urging them that if you're going to say you're saved, this salvation thing doesn't just come once a week. It's every day. It's every hour, it's every second of your life. So we're going to go in the book of Titus, and, and it'll be up here for you if you don't have your word today, but Titus chapter 1, we're going to read a couple verses here. We're going to start with verse 15 and 16. So this is Paul talking to Titus, and he's kind of explaining the elders' tasks here. But it's very important that you understand that this can relate to you and I today. Verse 15, chapter 1. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. And this verse right here is, is, the, uh, is the verse that can be offensive. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. What is that saying? They claim to be saved by the Lord Jesus. They claim to be Christians. However, by their works, everything that they do is totally useless. 
Everything that they do, they cannot bring a proper sacrifice to God with their living, with their deeds, and with their actions on a daily basis because they're all abominable. They're disobedient. They're defiled. And so Paul here is talking to Titus, and he's urging him to tell these people that they need to live godly lives. It's not just a once a week, one hour thing hearing some guy up here speak about the Lord. It's about you leaving these four walls, preaching the good news, but living it out as well. Living it out as well. So this message isn't popular, and I already talked about that, but it's not just a message about good works. That's the title here, but I want you to understand before we get into this, you're not saved by the works. It's clear. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith, okay, not by works so that you can't boast and say, oh, uh, I actually did all this and I'm going to go to heaven. So imagine some guy here or a lady dead in an open casket in a funeral, and you walk up to it and there's a sheet. And on the sheet it has the things that they've done in their lives and it has tally marks for everything good they've done. All the good works, all the fruit of the spirit, everything, love, joy. They, you know, they, they gave 15 times to the homeless last year. The year before that they actually helped widows and they visited the orphans. All the things that the word said, but then it said next to it, all the bad things they did, all the evil works. And it had an X there. And then right under that it tallied it up and it said, He barely made it to heaven. She barely made it to heaven. You think that's how God is? No. Because God is not a God of a threshold. We're not saved by works. And the amount of works you get, then you enter into heaven. That's not what God wants. God wants you to be saved by by faith in him. And then through that faith, you live it out. That faith should come out of you. Because the word says that faith without what? Without works is dead. You can't have it. They're, They're paired. If you have one, you have the other. And I kind of consider faith to be like an engine. And my buddy Rodney over here, he's a mechanic, so he has this engine. Think about it in a garage. You tear it up, you roar it up, you have a battery hooked up to it, but there's no vehicle. Faith is like the engine. It roars up, but you need something to put the faith in to actually go. You need the vehicle. So you need the works. You can't have faith without works. We can say we have faith, but what are you doing about the faith that you say you have to show others that you do have a faith in a God that can't be seen? God wants you to show others, and we'll get to that. He wants you to show others that he's real through your works. So there's no threshold for salvation. And I have a simple question for you. In James 4, it talks about your life being such a small vapor, being a mist, and then it's gone. It's cut out. Think about it. 2,000-something years ago, Jesus was on the cross, and that's 2,000 years ago, okay? Your life is what? If you're blessed, 100 years? So really, in the grand scheme of things, in eternity, your life is like a mist. So in that little time, in that little life, are you going to live good for God or bad for the world? You notice I didn't say good for the world because it's like a cycle, and I call it the spiritual sin trap. When we're trying to live good for the world, what happens is that we displease God. We try to please men and women. We try to please friends, girlfriends, boyfriends, husbands, and wives. We try to please everybody but the Lord. And so what happens is we please them, we displease God, and we sin more. And it's the spiritual trap that this world has put us in. All the social media, all the news, they want us to have fear. So we stay inside to do what? To please the world. But God's saying, no, I want you to go out to the grocery store because there's someone I want you to preach to and spread the gospel to. I don't want you to be bound by fear and shackles. 
And so it's a spiral trap of sin. But we have to understand, when you live under grace and not under the law, when you live under grace, that can be rid of you. That, that, that pleasing men can just go away and you start to please the Lord for what he's done in your life, for what he's going to do in your life. And so pleasing God is about you understanding that his grace is sufficient for everything you go through, for everything in your life. We don't have to please men and women to try to get their grace. God has given us an ultimate grace, and it's the grace on the cross that was shed for you and I to live out and please him, not please others. So now that we've addressed a little bit about grace, I want to talk to you about sin, because we have to talk about sin. The church needs to hear about sin, even though you probably heard it a million times. The church needs to hear about sin. So let's talk about sin. So Paul's writings, if you understand all of Paul's writings, they're all about grace. However, he understands the importance of sin. Paul understood the importance of works of the flesh, but he also understood, understood like in Galatians, the, the fruit of the spirit. He understood that works by men and women Without God, they're evil. But with God in us, with the Holy Spirit in us, we can live out that righteousness and be holy just like God. God created man and woman, right? He created them in his image. So if God created man and woman, you and I in his image, and what is God? God's holy. God's pure. God's just. Don't you think the product of the producer should look like the producer? Don't you think you should live out your life holy and sanctified? Yes. It's a simple mathematical equation, but what happened with the fall is that sin entered the world and entered you, yours and I, my life, and so we live under sometimes the law, and God says, I want you to live under grace. I want you to live under my mercy. I want you to live under my authority and not please man, please me, and I'll show you what I'm going to do through your life, and people are going to see those works in your life and those fruits and say, man, there's nothing else that it can be but by God. There's nothing else that it can be. A quick story, I mean, you guys see all this thing and I'm graduating from medical school. I had a 2.8 in high school and I was telling um, uh, Anna and Nancy earlier that people looked at me and like I had five eyes when I got into medical school here and they're like, man, you had a 2.8? I mean, these are people that, think about it. Doctors usually have 6.0s and 7s in high school and they go to college and they have a straight A streak and all this and and it's just amazing at what God has done through my life. But he hasn't just done it for me for no reason. No, I've served him. I've tried to please God with my life. And I've stopped pleasing man. They offer Philadelphia flights, put you on a Marriott to go to these courses to perform abortions as a medical student. They'll pay for everything. But I said, no, God, I'm not going to do that. Why, so I can go listen to some abortion clinic and be a doctor that makes millions? No, I'm gonna please you, Father. Everyone's like, what do you mean? You don't wanna go to the Marriott? You don't wanna get resort meals and five course plates and, and just live the life as a medical student? We're so much in debt. How are you not gonna take this? Because I'm not gonna please man. I'm gonna please the Father. And by pleasing the Father, everyone else is gonna see my light and glorify him one day, I believe so. So, so you have to please God and not men. Okay, so it's happening in my life too, and I want you to understand that. So we've addressed grace. We're going to address sin right now. And Paul, he understood that salvation was not a license to sin. Pastor says this all the time. It is not a license to sin. Okay? 
Even though we're saved by grace, we're not saved by works, just because you accept Jesus in your life, it doesn't mean that you can continue to repent of your sin and come to the Father with the same habitual sins over and over and over. You think God's pleased with that? He's not. He's not pleased with that. And I, and I love a, and another thing that I take from pastor. It's not just about guns. It was a, something he said a few months ago. He said, tell me your life last year, the year before. And if you're still walking in the same exact sin, you know what that sin is. If you're still walking in that same exact sin, then really are you honoring and are you serving the Father? And that's offensive, but it's from the book of life. And it's true that God can strip you away from all these sins and then he can produce in you a good thing, a good work. So Paul understood that salvation was not a license to sin. And in his missionary journey throughout all his epistles, he, he doesn't brush it off. Paul does not brush it off. I mean, you gotta remember this guy, Paul, he killed Christians. He knew what sin was when the Lord came to him. He understood sin is not to be messed with. When you, when you dabble in sin, you're playing with the devil. That's what you're doing. And so Paul understood that. And in, I'm going to just quickly go by some verses. In 1 Corinthians 5, he talks about the immorality of the church, how a little leaven leavens the whole bread. So you put a little bit of yeast in the bread, and the whole thing's going to sprout up. So just take it all out if it's bad. We've got to make a new lump of bread. That's 1 Corinthians 5. He's talking about the immorality of the church. Galatians 5 talks about the works of the flesh. He says, the works of the flesh, which are idolatry, fornication, selfish ambitions, adultery, will not, these people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And it has you beg the question, man, are these people really saved? They say they're saved, but, but by their works, they clearly deny him. And think about it. I mean, I'm not God, but I think we would be astonished at how many people say they're Christian and die, how many really go to heaven? It's a really thoughtful question. And you have to ask yourself, man, God, how many people that claim to be Christian really will enter your gates one day? I don't know, but God knows. You know, it disgusts me, it disgusts me that now everything's online and everything's live and I see all these videos and YouTubes and live TV with pastors, with people that are supposed to be authority and um, with power and authority, and, and, and they're supposed to have biblical principles, and these people ask them and they interview them with these simple questions about sin, about evil works, simple things like, is it a sin to cuss? Yes. Is it a sin to fornicate? Yes. And then they get to this question, and they always pause. Is it a sin to be a homosexual? And they all pause. They all pause and say, it's been like four pastors that I've seen do this. They say, well, you know what, first, let me talk to them. They don't give an answer of yes or wrong. They give an answer of, let me brush it off. Let me talk to that person. Listen, the word of God is clear. A sin is a sin. Works of the flesh are works of the flesh. They're all in here. My wife gives a great, clear example of sin. She says, God is not sitting here like we are looking at a downtown building and you see the skyscrapers and you see the short ones and you say, man, that's sin. That's, that's homosexuality right there. That's, that's huge, man. That's murder. That's even big. That's just a little cuss word. That's little. No, God's on top. 
God's having a bird's eye view, and he's saying, no, that's all sin. It all's the same to me. If your heart's impure, nothing good can come out. So Paul understood that sin is not to be taken lightly, especially as the believer, and that's why he's urging Titus in this epistle to tell the congregation that they need to live for Jesus. They don't need to live for the world anymore under the law, but under grace. Ephesians 2, 1 to 2 says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin in which you walked according to the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires. And then he goes on to say, anger, rage, filthy language from your lips. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Isn't that amazing? God's purpose for creating you was for you to be pure. Isn't that amazing? God's purpose for Adam and Eve was so that they can be blameless. And when he looked upon them, he saw an image of himself. But sin has come, on, come in this world and corrupted us so much that we perform the works of the flesh so much that God is not pleased. It's not performing the will that God has destined for your life. And so it says purely right there, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual morality. 1 Timothy 3, verse 2 to 8, talks about bishops and deacons and how they should act and be pure and be holy and blameless before the Lord. So Paul clearly didn't brush off sin. He understood grace because Jesus healed him through grace, through that power, but he also understood the death that came with sin and with works of the flesh. Rodney and I were talking the other day and it was such a great topic. I literally didn't even come inside here to hear pastor's um, Bible study message on Wednesday. Rodney and I were sitting out there with Jason just talking the whole time and Rodney said something that was so I mean, it was from God. I believe it was from God. And he said, as a believer, sin is not an option. It's not an option. And he said, you know what, and Rodney, I'm, I'm sharing this story, and I hope you're okay with it, but if you're not, it's okay. So he told his daughter and his son-in-law, hey, look, you want to get married to my daughter. I'm going to ask you a question. Is marriage a priority, and is divorce an option. And he said, you just take a, take a moment to think about it and you come back to me. And he said, well, I knew when I walked away that if you said divorce is an option, I wasn't going to give him the hand. And the guy came back and, and he said, you know what, Roddy, no, no, sit, you know, divorce is not an option. Think about if a man understands something like sin is an option, God, with God, if his, if his will for your life is sanctification and purity, with God's sin is absolutely not an option. Because he's provided the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the power, the authority. It says that we're going to do works like Jesus did, but more. So come on. You think sin is an option for God? It's not an option at all. So when that sin creeps into your mind, the temptation from the enemy comes, the word, and Peter says, resist him and he will flee. If you're under God, under grace, under that power and authority, it says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right after that, it says, man, if you draw near to me, this is God. If you draw near to me, I'm going to draw near to you. 
That's what God wants to do. He wants to draw near to you and peck out and take out those impurities. He wants you to be sanctified. That is the will of God. So sin, for the believer, it shouldn't be an option. So we clearly see that that sin is not to be taken lightly. So, so now we're going to talk about works. And you say, well, I thought sin is works. Well, guess what? Sin and works, I was thinking about it, they're twins. They're hand in hand. They're right there. Sin and works are twins. In the Greek, if we look up works, it's ergon, and it means a deed or an action to carry out or to complete an inner desire or an inner purpose. So then you ask yourself, man, what is my inner desire? What's my inner purpose in life? Is it Jesus? Because they'll come out through your works. It's clear. It says it's an action to carry out an inner purpose. So we clearly talked about the works of the flesh here in Galatians. It's idolatry, fornication, selfishness, ambitions. But guess what? What are the fruits of the Spirit? What are the fruits of the Spirit that God is putting in your life through the Holy Spirit and you live in and live out those fruits? Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. We all know these. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit that God wants you to use through the Holy Spirit to point people to him. How can you point people to him if you're living in sin? If you're living in bondage and chains, how on earth can you rip out of those chains and go grab that one out of the 99 to bring him to Jesus? It's very difficult. It's very difficult. So sin is not an option. Titus 1.16, we, we read that earlier. In works, they deny him. Their works clearly showed their inner purpose. Their works clearly showed their inner purpose. What was it? It was abominable. It was defiled. Disobedience. God said, look, they deny me by their very works. By their works that they practice, they deny me. Their works clearly showed their true desire. It was not 100% to honor and please the Father. And I told you the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, we, we, we should know those, we should, we should live out those, those fruits of the Spirit. Because when you're living for God, it, it's a natural response to live for God and to produce those fruit. You know, you can't have... You can't have a Christian life and produce good fruit, can you? Can you have a Christian life and produce good fruit? Yeah, you should. But what happened to the bad fruit? God wants you to take them down, cut them down, out of your life. That same habitual sin that comes back and creeps in your life, God's saying, I want you to pluck those out with the power that I've given you, the authority I've given you, I want you to pluck them out of your life. It's not an option. I want you to live holy. I want you to live blameless. And when I see you, I want to see myself. I want to see a reflection of my son that died on the cross for you 2,000 years ago. That's what God wants. That's what God wants. So I'm going to give you two main points and main reasons why you should be performing good works. And it's not a performance these works come from a response, from a natural response to the faith, to the forgiveness, to the grace that is poured on your life. 
These works are not a chore that you're doing to earn God's blessing, to earn God's love, to earn his forgiveness. It's a natural response because he's blessed you, because he's poured his favor on you, because he's forgiven you, and because he loves you. So number one, we are representation of God and of the kingdom. We are representation. The beginning. I talked about it, Adam and Eve. Today's Mother's Day. We have a lot, of, a lot of mothers in here. My mother's here. Thank God. And I bet she's looking and she's like, man, I'm so proud of my son. My dad's like, I'm so proud of my son. I have another brother. He just started a business. Man, we're so proud of him. When they get married, they're so proud. When they have kids, they're so happy because they're, we are representation of our parents. In the same way, imagine how much of a representation your creator wants you to represent him. God wants you to use the gifts and talents that he's poured over your life to bless him and to show others, man, there's something else out there and it's Jesus. It's God. He's love. He's pure. He's grace. He's mercy. And although we rebel and although I rebelled a lot as a child, a lot, my parents still loved me. They still hugged me. Imagine how much God, when you rebel, loves you. He wraps his arm around you and says, I forgive you a million times. A million times, I forgive you. Ephesians 2.10. This is a powerful verse because we're going to understand that we are representation of God. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm going to read that one more time. For we, for you and I, are his workmanship. We're his handiwork. Created for what? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God wants you to live out your life in good, not in evil. He wants you to live out your life for him and not for the world. We talked about that earlier. So when the church gets together and pleases the world, how can the church as a congregation please the Father? We are his bride. He wants us to be pure. He wants us to be spotless when he comes for us. And guess what? If we're all pleasing the world, we're going to displease him. We're going to sin more. And then when he looks down, he doesn't see himself. God wants you to be pure and sanctified and holy. And we can do that by his blood, by his grace, by his mercy. We are his handiwork. The product of the holy producer should be holy. So if God is all holy, God is all pure, shouldn't we be holy and act holy? You say, well, I'm just human. I can't do that. That's why he died on the cross. But remember, sin is not an option with God. It's an option because you let it be an option. That same sin that creeps in, it, it's an option because you let it be an option. But when you say, you know what, I'm taking that out of the equation, out of the multiple choice. I only have three multiple choices. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not D, the sin. Then we understand that we can live under grace and not under the law. And not say, well, you know what, I'm going to repent and ask God for forgiveness a 400th time on the same sin next week because God is all love, God is all good, God is all holy. Yes, he is holy, he is good, and he loves you. And for those watching today, if you're an unbeliever, God loves you and he wants you to come and form a relationship with him, but he also is a God of wrath. God is a jealous God. 
He's defeated the enemy in sin in the grave 2,000 years ago. It's defeated, it's done with. So the sin that you're struggling with, it doesn't have to be a struggle anymore. It really doesn't. My sin that I was dabbling in two, three, four years ago, my sin that I was in before I was married is not the same sin I'm in today. I choose to live without sin. And if the devil comes in my life and tempts me with that sin, I say, you better back behind me, Satan, and then you can do the same thing. Why can't we all do it? We live under grace. We live under power and authority that the cross has given us. It's the cross that has given us that power and authority to live under God. Because we are a representation of God and of the kingdom, hear this out, and those of you watching online that usually come here, <laughs> shouldn't there be more people in here worshiping? There should be a lot more people in here worshiping. There should be a lot more people in churches worshiping the Father. Jesus speaks about this, man. In John chapter four, he talks about the Father is seeking and he's just looking for the worshipers that are true. God is looking around. Imagine God look around and he just looks at everybody and he looks at you and he looks at your family and he, and he goes past your house and he looks and he looks at our hearts and he's seeking the true worshipers. He knows who's false. He knows who says they're true worshipers, but they're really not. He knows who worships the world and worships him on Sunday morning. God knows it all. God knows it all. And this is Jesus saying, man, God is looking. My father in heaven, he's just looking. He sent me here for you for you to see the good works in me, but God is looking for those people to produce the good works that he is desiring you to produce. And he says he's seeking the true worshipers. I want this church, man, when I come back in a couple years or in a year and whenever we come back, I want this church and I want to see it, man, true worshipers in here. I want to see true worshipers. That's what we need. And I look around and I see pure hearts and I see struggles. I see things that are sinful in your life. And man, God is good. God can pluck that away from you. He's plucked it away from my life. And if I would sit here and write a book of all the things that I've struggled with, you would be, you would be amazed. You would seriously be astonished at what the Lord has brought me out of. And that's why that lost song, I told Tom to play it, because God's good, because all I want to sing to the Lord is hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, for where you've taken me, you saved me from the pit of hell, and he saved you from the pit of hell. And he's taking you out of that pit just like he did with Joseph, and he's putting you up high to stand strong in this world that is evil, that is trying to put you down, put you under fear, and put you under their authority. And God is saying, no, today I want you to live under my word. I want you to live under my authority, my blessings, my grace, my favor, and my forgiveness today. We should be passionate for good works. And we're going to close in a little bit, but before I close, I, I want to talk a little bit about the ending of Titus. We go to two. It's the second chapter in Titus, and I'm going to read a few verses here, 11 to 14. Chapter 2, 11 to 14, Titus, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, 
denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Look at that word zealous. The root word actually means hot enough to boil. So imagine what zealous he's talking about. He's saying, these people should be on fire for me and it should be hot enough to boil for the passion that should be in them. They should be zealous to produce good works, not zealous to please the world. We should be zealous to produce good works for every good work we should be zealous for, bringing love to people and showing them Jesus' love through our works. So number one is it's to represent God in the kingdom. And the last point is why we should have good works, why God wants us to have good works and, and walk with the fruits of the Spirit is to point people to him, to point people to him. It's very simple. See, the gospel is very simple. We make it so difficult, but it's very simple. God created us to be like him and to spread his gospel so other people can be like him. It's simple. So number one, we represent him, and number two, to point people to Jesus, to point people to God the Father. The other day, we were in a Zoom meeting, and, and Chris asked, we were doing a Bible study a few weeks ago, and, and Chris, he didn't ask the question, but he wanted everyone's input. And he said, guys, I, I just have a, a question for you guys. How do you spread the gospel to a believer? And then how do you spread the gospel to an unbeliever? And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to answer the question that is how to spread the gospel to a believer. Because sometimes we, we look around and we say, oh, well, they're a believer. They don't need to hear the word of God. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And I think we were talking about Nicodemus and when he went up to Jesus at night and when he said, you know what? How can you really be born again? See, Nicodemus was believing. And Jesus said, well, you, you have to be born again. I mean, and he didn't understand. But Chris asked, man, how can you spread the gospel to a believer? Simple question, simple answer. You ask them, how has Jesus transformed your life from last year? If Jesus was here right now, which he is, <laughs> and he's asking you, hey, what have I done in your life? What evil works have I taken out and plucked out? What have I done in your life this year? How have I transformed you from the man, from the woman that you once were into the man and woman that you are today? If you're the same, what's going on? If you are the same person that you were five years ago in the same sin and the same works of the flesh, how is God truly working in your life? Are you serving him? Are you reading the word? Are you, are you letting sin be an option in your life? It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. We need to point people to Jesus. So when people see the new creation in us, they say, man, that's only by the grace of God that Daniel doesn't struggle with anything he used to struggle with. That's only by the grace of God that this woman that I used to see last year, all the fornicating, all the adultery, everything that she used to do, man, she's not in that anymore. What's going on? It only has to be from God, God above. Man, this guy used to struggle with, with alcohol. He used to struggle with, with drugs. Man, what is different about this guy? Well, it's Jesus the Father that has purified him, sanctified him, and that is the will of God for you to be sanctified. 
He doesn't want sin to be an option because when sin is an option, then you leave God out. That question is fulfilled by sin. God said, no, I don't want that question of sin in your mind to be fulfilled with sin. I want it to be fulfilled by the Holy Spirit that I've given you, that I've given you. So when people see the new creation, it should seriously, your life should point directly to Jesus. It shouldn't point to you. All this med school stuff and me becoming a doctor, man, everyone asks me and I point it straight to the Father because without him, I would not be here. I would be locked up somewhere doing drugs with some of my old friends. I would be doing that type of stuff, not married with my wonderful wife. It's all God that has done a good thing. And he can do a good thing in your life too if you give him the glory and the praise and understand that you are a new creation in the God the Father. So why did God send his son? And I got something in my pocket that pastor gave a few months. I don't know if you guys still have it, but I still got mine. <laughs> it's a nail. <laughs> and when you look at the nail, pastor said, you know, I, I just want you to look at it and remember the cross. And no matter what you go through, no matter what struggles or tribulations or trials, you say, you know what, it's not bigger than Jesus on the cross. And when we truly understand what Jesus went through for you and I to be holy, to be blemished, to be literally spotless in front of God and Father, I mean, think about it. Do you want to produce evil works when God has saved you, when God has done this on the cross? And I can explain the medical behind it, and it's impossible what Jesus went through impossible what Jesus went through after even the, 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 the flogging, the beating, to survive for how long he survived. And I, you know God could have had angels come and, and, and obviously take Jesus off, but, but Jesus didn't do that. He, he loved you so much that he was willing to be beaten, to be slapped, to be mocked. And through that, unbelievers saw that. And they said, man, that's, that's a true king. That's, that's only from the Father. That's what God wants you and I to do. When people ridicule you, when people beat you, and people blame you for things, and people fire you for no reason, and, and people call you names, and they hate you, they're gonna hate you. It says it in the word, if they hated my father, they're gonna hate us. But you be pure, you be holy, you be sanctified, and you show love, love from the father. And when you do that, they say, man, this, this only comes from above. This only comes from Father. This only comes from one person and one person only. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Why did God send his son? He sent his son even after being beaten and ridiculed. So that unbelievers would have no other choice but to say only that forgiveness and humbleness comes from above. We're gonna close out and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a couple verses for you to end because I want you to know that there's grace, that God loves you. In each of Paul's writings and his epistles, he started with grace and he ended with grace in all of them. There's grace when you come to Jesus. Jesus wants you to live for him and he's gonna do amazing things in your life, but you have to wanna serve him and you have to have the faith. But if you don't have the works with the faith, it's useless. God wants you to walk out of this place today renewed, changed, 
denying the works of the flesh, picking up the fruits of the Spirit, and living according to his word. 1 Peter, second, 1 Peter chapter 2, sorry, verses 11 to 12. I think she'll have it up there. It says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's what I hope and pray for each and one of, every one of you. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men. <laughs> this is, this verse Personally, I take this into every hospital I go into, into every workforce that I go into, into every store that I walk into. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven by you, by your good works. They should see you and say, man, that guy, that girl, man, they're changed. What are they doing that's different? Who are they serving? What magazine have they been reading? You know, all the, the world does that. What are, they, what are they reading? Oh, they're reading another, another Get Well book, My Best Day Now, whatever book that is. All this stuff. Now you say, man, it's from the Father. It's from above. It's only one book that I serve, one, one God that I serve, and it's Jesus. So God wants you to represent him. He wants you to do it well. He's looking around for those people that he's going to take into his army. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for true worshipers. God is looking for an army. And are you going to be a part of that army? I want to be a part of that army. And pastor says it all the time, man, if you're not willing to make a sacrifice for your fleshly sins, if you're not willing to lay them down, then I truly believe God doesn't want you on his army. Come on now. How can you be on God's army and defeat sin if you're living in sin? It's offensive, guys. It's offensive. It offended me. But guess where God has taken me? Many places. Because I've put those sins aside, those sins that I struggled with through marriage, those sins that I've struggled with as a youth pastor. I, I struggle too. But I say, God, this, like Rodney said, it doesn't have to be an option. There's another option. It's power, it's grace, it's authority. I can deny sin every second of the day. I don't have to live and be bound in the same sin by a little shackle anymore. I can be free and jump and jump in freedom. Just like I jump and praise. Why do I do that? I used to praise and jump in the club. And God said, you could praise and jump in the club, but when, but when my songs come on, you can't jump for me? And I said, no, you know what? I'm jumping really high for you, Jesus, and I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody says. Why? Because I'm trying to live for Jesus. I'm not trying to live for the world. So when you try, try, try to be like Jesus, Jesus, with that faith in you, will, naturally responding from your life, will produce a good work in you and your life. So if you're listening this morning, I just want to encourage you to read your word. Encourage you to live by grace and grace alone. Understand that you are not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. 
It's not by your works. But once you accept Jesus in your life, you should show others, just like Paul was urging Titus, to tell the believers, man, salvation comes with a cost. It really does. People say it's free. Yeah, it's free because Jesus did it for you. But once you're saved, it's not that easy if you do it alone. It's easy when you understand the power and the authority that Jesus has given to each and every one of us through his resurrection. He's given it to you and I this morning. So you don't have to live under sin anymore. You don't have to live under those evil works. As a church, as a church body, we don't have to live under those same sins over and over. God wants to see true worshipers in the house. That's what he wants. Because in heaven, it's only gonna be true worshiping. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's what it's gonna be. So God is looking at your heart today. And God is roaming around. And just like it says, the, the devil's prowling around like a lion, whoever he can devour. God has already defeated that lion. And he's looking, not who he can devour, but who he can take up into his army. Who he can grab and hug and say, I'm, I'm yours. I want to bring you into this light. I want to bring you into this glory, into this righteousness, into walking on my path for your life. You have the faith of the engine, but, but God's saying, man, I want you to start putting it in your vehicle, putting it in your body, and moving on the destination, on the path that God has put in front of your life, because your path is not my path. God has a plan for you, and it's a plan of faith, it's a plan of destiny, it's a plan of worship. So let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. Lord, we ask that right now that you can begin filling this place with your Holy Spirit, that people will understand and know that sin does not need to be brushed off, Lord, but that your grace is sufficient for us. And that through that grace, through that Holy Spirit comes power and authority and that when that question of sin comes into our mind, we can say, you know what? I'm not having sin as an option. I believe in Jesus, and Jesus died for sin 2,000 years ago, and I'm not going to die in it today. I'm going to live by faith and faith alone. But through that faith, I ask, Lord, that you produce in everyone in here works that are holy to your sight, that are blameless before you, Father. We love you. We praise you. We worship your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com